Good evening, Marketplace. Welcome to our Wednesday Night Fuel. I am here. I'm just so happy to have you with us. Go ahead, like, share this video. Let your friends and family know that we are preparing to get into the word of the Lord. As I'm here on this Ash Wednesday, uh, and we begin uh, the beginning of our Lenten season, please let me remind you of a couple of things. I recognize that not everybody uh, celebrates this Lenten time. I recognize that for some, uh, this is a tradition. I know for me growing up, the Lenten season was not one that was normative in our faith practice. But again, as we walk in this year of the builder, Lent should be a time, really, uh, I center it around four things, repentance, release, realignment, rededication. Um, it is normally a time of fasting, a time of prayer, um, because during the Lenten season, like the Advent season, these are times of expectation. We are leading up to uh, Resurrection Sunday, as with the Advent season leading up to uh, the birth of Christ. And so these are times of celebration uh, in the church, but also times to really get ourselves in divine alignment with God's will. If you are uh, journeying with us, we have a Lenten journal um, that you can see on all of our social media platforms. You can download that. If you look at our church's social media, uh, you can download that uh, Lenten journal. It will give you for each day of the Lenten season, it will allow you to really have a time of reflection with the Lord. Uh, so for those of you who really want uh, some prompts uh, to begin to build your practice of, of daily spending time with the Lord. This is just a tool set that you can use to begin to build the muscle memory and the habit of daily reflecting and spending time with the Lord in his scripture. So I challenge you uh, to do so as we dig into um, the word. During my last message um, on this past Sunday, I really couldn't help but see and feel uh, tension in the room. I was in Acts 10. I'll be in Acts 10 again today, but I could not help but see and feel tension uh, in the room because I was challenging us to really remove. I've been talking about removing what was as we talk about being in the year of the builder and allow God to show us his will, you know, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. I watched as some people in uh, the room realized that um, we were often walking by sight instead of walking by faith. And when you recognize that we have allowed the fickle emotions that surround us or the flesh to govern us, that is convicting. And so today, as I continue to clarify and, and, and work in this word, I'm really challenging us to walk in God's will. And, and, and in everything that I'm doing in this year of the builder, in this year of living consecrated, my challenge is, God, I want to walk in your will. Anything that is out of your will, we reject we reject anything that is not God and we accept everything that is, even the things that are uncomfortable. The painful truth is 
Some of us do not want to see God's will manifest in the earth. Let that settle. Some of us do not want to see God's will manifest in the earth. Yes, I do, Bishop. No, no. There are some of us who we, we say we want to see God's will manifest, but truthfully, we're asking God to manifest our will. And so even as we're sitting there and we're declaring, this is the year of the builder, we truly only want to build the building of our dreams instead of building the kingdom of God. Be honest. Do you want God to put his strength behind your desires or are you saying, God, whatever you want is what I want? Furthermore, there are others who have become, listen, so conditioned by the ways of the world that the things of God actually present a foreign and oftentimes unwanted standard that challenges our accepted definition of happiness and therefore we reject God's will as archaic and or counterproductive to our own ambition. What we're saying is, listen, listen, I want what I want so bad that that has become the normative definition of what I believe God wants. We have superimposed our will with his. The things of the world uh, make us look at the things of God as out of style. Lastly, we have those who, whose walk has been tainted, listen, by their experiences. I often deal with this group a lot because those experiences are legitimate. Your walk has been tainted by your experiences. And even when the promise, the power, and the provision of the new creation is presented plainly to you, we can find ourselves unable to walk in it. <laughs> when the newness of life is presented right before you, you say, oh no, that, that'll never work. Why? Because what I hear, what I see is tainted by my experience. In other words, we've had interactions that have shaped our thinking. And even when the Lord is showing us that we have real biases, that we're off, that we're, we're not seeing things correctly, we can't or even won't see that we need to change. Some of us even have historical norms that have shaped our thinking. This is the way it was. This is the way I've always seen it. This is all I've ever seen. It's legitimate. But even when the Lord is showing us that we're in a new season and that, and that God has changed Things we refuse to walk in. Our text, our text shows us, our text that we're here in Acts 10, it shows us someone, Peter, who was challenged to see differently and walk in God's will. I need somebody to go ahead and write down in the comments if you're listening to me right now. I need you to, to write down, walk in God's will. As a matter of fact, I want you to make it personal. I need you to write down, I will walk in God's will. If you will allow, let me, let me go back to some questions that I asked you. When we were together, I asked you uh, four questions. I asked you, number one, am I in a place where God can show me? Show me what? His will. It's a heart assessment. Is my heart, my mind, will, emotions, intellect, and imagination in a place where God can show me his will? Number two, am I cultivating habits 
where God can show me. It's a regimen assessment. Do the things that I do on a daily basis, are they polluting me or are they keeping me pure? Number three, am I studying so that God can show me? It's a focus assessment. Am I going to the word to see God or am I going to the word to prove myself right? Ah. Number four, am I worshiping where God can show me? It's a motive assessment. Any form of worship, my giving, my work of ministry, my serving, is it so that I can continue to be in alignment with God or am I doing so so that people can see me? So in our text in Acts 10, glory to God. Peter, Peter here has been sent on a mission by God. He had, he had been in this dream. I challenge you guys to just start at the beginning of ch chapter 10 to read contextually. He had been in this dream and he had seen God and he was challenged by this dream because sometimes God starts working with you before he deploys you. And there was some work that he was being called to do. And in order to do it, there was some things that Peter needs to learn. Let me help you. There are some of us who are being called to do something. And before we do it, we need to uh, open ourselves up to new levels of training, new levels of development. Because truth is, some of what we heard, some of what we've experienced is tainting us from being able to walk in the will of God. If we look at Acts chapter 10 and we look at verse 28, look at this. And he said to them, this is Peter, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me, look at this, that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. God has shown me. God has shown me. Peter says, listen, y'all know, y'all know this is not how we do. You know that I'm not even supposed to be under your roof. You know that I'm not even supposed to associate. That's the way it's always been. That's the way of the world. He says, but God showed me something different. God showed me, and here's the truth. He was right. It was unlawful, but it was unlawful to the ways of the world. It wasn't unlawful to God. God was shifting. God was showing him. And I, I need you to listen to the whole message I'm going to do today because some of us will take what I am saying as a call to conformity, but I'm not actually calling us to conformity at all. I'm actually calling us to a greater alignment with righteousness. I'm not calling us to conform. I'm not calling us to compromise. I'm calling us to a greater alignment with God's will because what Peter had aligned with was not God's will. Don't think that because you were disciplined that the simple presence of discipline is the presence of holiness. Some of us were disciplined to unrighteousness. In other words, we had extreme discipline in the wrong areas. I want us to pay glory, close attention to Peter's stance after being shown. He says, God has shown me. It's right there in verse 28. God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Look at his, his stance. I, this is, I'm, I'm recapping qu quickly here. Verse 29. That is why, because God had shown him, I come without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent me. 
The reason I came is because I have been shown and not only am I here, but I'm here without objection. No speech or expressing disapproval. In, in other words, Peter says, I'm here and I'm not grumbling about it. I'm not complaining about it. I, listen, when God showed me, I am now here without any frustration, malice, strife, anger, attitude. Peter didn't just do what the Lord said, but he did so with willingness. He did so without any back talk. He did so without any adversity in his heart. He did so with no grumbling. He did so with no complaining. He said, this is why I'm here because I've been shown. And let me speak to some preacher right now. Stop being mad when you don't see people complying. Just continue to show them God. I hear that. Somebody needs to sit here and listen to me right now. So some pastor, some communicator who is growing weary because you feel like people are not being transformed by the renewing of their mind. First of all, I would ask you and challenge you, are you actually preaching and teaching a transformative gospel? Are you preaching the full gospel or are you just continuing to tell them what they want to hear? Because watch this, when you confront people with the full gospel, they only have a choice to stay the same or to change. That's number one. Number two, you have to understand this, that when you show them different. Yes, Lord. When you show them different, they're now in a place as you continue to transform them for them to live different. He was shown first and then he came without complaint. Sometimes we're asking people to do something before we have given them the truth that is the foundation of their doing. We want them to, to be willing and obedient, but we have not embedded into them the truth, which actually is the foundation in which our doing sits upon. Mm. Do we, here's my question, glory, do we have a heart to see the will of God manifest in the earth? Or... Are we only satisfied with seeing our will? I'll do it again. Do we have a heart? People of God, Christians, the born again. Because we should. Let me rephrase. Those who say that they're Christians, those who say that they're born again, those listening to me right now, that you claim the name of Christ. Do we have a heart to see the will of God manifest or are we only satisfied with seeing our will? And the reason I rephrase that is because as soon as you're truly born again, the born again don't fight with God's will. Spirit is willing. It's the flesh that's weak. So every area of struggle against God's will is an area of a live flesh. Will you walk in God's will? That was, that's, that's, that's my challenge. But, but they did this. Will you walk in God's will? But they said that. Will you walk in God's will? But this is not fair. But will you walk in God's will? But they trying to get me. But will you walk in God's will? I recently listened to an anointed sermon. I won't give the name of the preacher. It was an anointed sermon by an articulate, highly educated pastor who argued, listen to me closely. I'm almost through. 
who argued that the church should be the blueprint of unity. In other words, this pastor with great boldness proclaimed that the idea of a black church or a white church or a church that is segmented along any racial, geographic or class lines is categorically antithetical to the will of God. That was the argument that any church where we have those type of divisions, watch me, those type of divisions. That's not God's will. This was not a message of compromise. This, this particular communicator did not uh, sidestep any issues. It wasn't a message where he tried to uh, cast blame on social service agencies. It wasn't about politics. It wasn't governmental. He did not point to any of those services as the answer. But this particular message espoused that the church, the church, the bride of Christ, the ecclesia, the called out ones should not be segregated. During the sermon, he, he clearly dispelled myths, challenged norms, argued a clear biblical precedent. I'm going somewhere. He attempted to push the listener to an understanding that it is God's will that we worship together. That we are one body, many members. We are the body of Christ, not a body divided house divided cannot stand. He went on to point to Jesus as the answer, challenging all who were listening to align to Christ. This was the challenge of this message. Come on, align with Jesus, align with the word. This message was not delivered last week, last year. It was two or three years ago. Despite the bold challenge, one would think, one would think that Christians, those who call on the name of the Lord, those that claim to be born again, one would think that they would endorse a church that looks like this. Where we could be with people of like and precious faith, one would think that this message would not have been seen as any type of attack, that, that it would be applauded, that it would be welcomed in the church. Where an anointed minister is calling us to be the body, one would think that this would have been a welcomed message. Calling every nation to come together and worship God. You know, something like the Acts 2 experience of the upper room where the text says that there were devout men from every nation gathered. You would think that we would desire our church to look like that. But instead, I began to go through and peruse the comments. Listening to the message seemed to be well received in the room, but, but on this particular social media platform, I went and I perused the comments. There were many, while claiming to be Christians, who rejected the message, not, not just rejected his style, they, they, they did not reject his presentation, uh, they didn't necessarily reject even, um, you know, the fact that it was in the Bible, they rejected it as outright heresy.
some going as far as to call this man a false preacher who the Lord did not know. A message calling us to be the body was seen as heresy. It was seen as a message that God is against. And the communicator who preached it is seen as a heretic, a false teacher. But instead, we have, help me God, we have people who are telling us that if we just give $29.99 that God would bless us. And we see them as anointed. We flock to their churches. We fill up their conferences. But yet this message, which calls us to dwell together in the spirit of unity and the bond of peace is seen as heretical. But then we have those who are charging for prophecies. And we see them as God's servants. But this message saying that God wants us to dwell together, to worship together, is seen as heretical. Let me be clear. Let me be clear about a couple of things right here. And before, before I go into this premise, let me say this. A true gospel presentation will confront you. You will not always be comfortable about an accurate presentation of the gospel. As a matter of fact, everything that is in you that is antithetical to Christ will literally have a visceral response to the accurate preaching of God's word. And so preachers, I'm saying this to you right now who are listening to me. Don't try to preach the pleasing, preach the righteous. Don't try to preach the cute, preach the holy. Don't try to preach for the applause. We got to preach the gospel because hear me, we have people who are calling wrong, right and right, wrong. Let me be clear about a couple things. Biblical unity. Biblical unity requires us to be clear on what we are unified around. Because see, there's a whole lot going on. Oh, I hope somebody is listening to me. There's a whole lot going on in the world right now. And there are many calls for unity. But oftentimes, we are unifying around. Listen to me. This is very important. We are unifying around the problem, whatever that may be instead of unifying around the solution. Okay, let me let me be absolutely crystal clear. It's a lot going on. And so even in today's world, I see us saying, you know, we have a, a call for social justice or, or a call for racial unity. And I, I hear you, I hear you. Calls around police brutality, I hear you. But if we unify around the problem, let's say of, of, of social justice, if we unify around the problem of social justice, we're automatically on a particular slippery slope as Christians. Explain. 
because we have to first ask the question of are we unified around the solution? And now whatever problem comes before us, the lens that is before everybody is the solution, not the problem. Yeah. Because if we unify around the problem, when the problem is presented, we may all agree that it is a problem. But see, when I come to the table, my solution is Jesus. Your solution may be something that is contrary to the faith. So when I'm talking about unity, I want no ifs, ands, buts around what I am saying. I am talking about a biblical unity, which requires us to be clear about we are what we are unified around. My solution to every problem is Jesus and him crucified. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Jesus, that is the, that's my solution. And so any problem that I face, I have to look at that through the lens of Christ. My orthopraxy, my right practice is directly informed by my orthodoxy, my right thinking. I can never have a orthopraxy right practice without a correct orthodoxy. And if we try to gather around what we should practice, but we have not agreed on how we should think, then we're always going to have a practice which is disjointed and leads to compromise. Glory to God. When I speak about unity, when I speak about unity, I am not speaking about conformity. I am speaking about biblical unity that is centered around the ways of the Lord without compromise to the Lord's standards. I am not calling for us to ignore sin. I'm not calling for us to compromise. I'm not calling for us to redefine the standards of scripture because many are. But to the contrary, what am I calling us to? I'm calling us to ignore the ways of the world. To be a light in dark places. Help me, God. To remove anything from our lives that should not be. To walk in the high standard of the Lord consistently to press for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus to crucify the flesh with its lust and passions to have churches which model Christian unity to be the body of Christ under the headship of Christ to break the back of racial division to bring the family as God designed into alignment with the will of God to be parents like the scripture declares to forgive like the scripture says to get rid of malice and strife and hatred and envy and all brokenness to love like the scripture says we should love to to be faithful to the scriptures to teach what the Bible says and not how we feel. You know what I'm calling us to is this to walk in the will of God. To walk in the will of God. Let me end by us looking at what Peter said. Right before he gets to a miracle. I'll teach the rest Sunday. Look at how Peter spoke to this in Acts 10. Verse 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said. 
I most certainly understand now. I didn't understand before. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, here's, here's the premise. I don't want us to miss this. In every nation, the man who fears him, see, orthodoxy, the man who fears him and does orthopraxy, what is right is welcome to him. <laughs> Let us unify around that. And before you start moving, ask yourself, am I walking in God's will? Is this God's will? Pastors, ask yourself, am I building a people surrounded by God's will? Is my vision God's will or mine? Is the decision I'm about to make God's will or mine? Is this God's will for my family? Is this God's will for me as a husband? Is this God's will for me as a wife? Is this God's will for me as a parent? Is this God's will or mine? Am I walking in love or hatred? Am I walking in bitterness and strife? Am I walking in God's will? Am I being divisive? Or am I unifying around God's will? Let's walk in God's way. May God bless you. May heaven smile upon you and give you peace. This is my prayer.